As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Meet the Author, where you can join in on insightful conversations with best-selling and award-winning indie-published authors. Your hosts today are Rob and Joan, who themselves are indie-published authors, book publicists, and paranormal investigators with Tampa Bay Spirits, based in Tampa Bay, Florida. Thanks for dropping by. And now, on with the show. Hi, I'm Rob. And I'm Joan. Welcome to the show. Whether you're watching tonight live on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. or if you're listening to a podcast later on, we're so glad you decided to join the audience. Today is a pre-recorded show, just so that you can remember it's pre-recorded. You can still go ahead and make comments on our YouTube and we will try and answer them and we'll also try and get our our author to let her right. know what's going on and that you have a comment or a question. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll direct you how to reach her too. Yeah. You can still comment during this live broadcast of the pre-recorded show. Um, and we'll get those comments as well. We'll get those as well. Uh, I want to remind everybody to tune in to the Voice of Indie podcast on Blog Talk Radio right after our show. Um, but that's on blogtalk blogtalkradio.com. Can't talk myself. 
with host Beam Weeks and Gary G's. They're always uh, a lot of fun. Uh, it's right after this broadcast at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. And then also tuning in uh, this coming Saturday, August 13th, uh, will be episode Rewind, uh, 5.30 p.m., right where you're watching uh, right now. You can watch uh, episode 37 with uh, author Kim Nugent. It was a very good episode. I remember that one. And that's about it for right now. I think so. Okay. Do you... Uh, Everything, nothing else? No. No. Oh, why don't we bring in uh, our guest for tonight and welcome, Terry. Hi, Terry. Hey, hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on our show. If you weren't, we wouldn't be having a show. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we would just be sitting there. It would be just us talking to each other and nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. We might watch. No. <laughs> we would watch our kids. <laughs> Yeah, our kids maybe. Our kids are kind of tired of us too, so probably yeah. not. <laughs> why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Terry? When you started writing, why you started writing, that sort of thing. All right. So um, I always tell people that I wanted to be a writer when I was a little girl, but I mm -hmm. also wanted to be a brain surgeon and an Olympic <laughs> ice skater. So I'm not sure if it really counts, except that I did actually become a writer. So I say that I kind of had an inkling way back then. Um, I used to write little short stories and poems. And for Christmas this past year, my mom gave me a poem that I had written. And it was um, on the back of a bank deposit slip from my grandmother. So she must have fished it out of her purse. And then, you know, I wrote some and it was something of, about two people sleeping in a bed and they were foot to head and they were smelling each other's feet. It was stupid. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I now have that, which is really cute. Um, yeah. But then but then life kind of, you know, does what life does. And when I went off to college, my family is very much you have to have a, a solid career. You have to pick something. You need to be a nurse or a teacher or an architect or, and writer was not something in the list. And so I didn't even consider that as a career. And I, but then I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I have uh, two majors and two minors and I've never used any of it, but I got it anyway. So off to college I went and then I got married and had children and then life really takes all the twists and turns that life takes. But in 2000, I started writing nonfiction for small businesses. Um, a lot of articles, helping them with their websites, um, eBooks. And then I actually got an opportunity to write some actual books um, with a, a press from Florida. And we did, it was Atlantic Press, and we did things mostly around real estate. Um, and I worked with people who were authorities and essentially helped them get their voice out and, you know, got to be published. But it really, to me, wasn't the same as what I'm doing now, because for me, at least in that that kind of nonfiction, it's it's just facts. You find them and you order them correctly so that when people are reading, they know how to do whatever it is that the book title is about. So, you know, I did one on, on like becoming a landlord and it had things on how to be a landlord. And so if you didn't like the book, it's really because you didn't care to know about being a landlord. Like it wasn't <laughs> your thing. Right. But, but fiction mm -hmm. writing, if someone doesn't like your book, 
it's kind of like saying they don't like you, you know, or they don't like the characters that are running around in your head. And it's, that's a lot scarier. And I, I was very afraid to delve into that area because I didn't want the rejection that might go along with it. Um, at the time I was living, so I had, I had married and then I had divorced and I had remarried and my, my remarriage was a poor choice. Um, and he was an emotionally abusive man. I lived with him for 14 years. And, and during that time, there's no way I would have ever written fiction because I just didn't believe in myself anymore. But mm -hmm. as soon as I got out of that marriage is when I, I started writing again. Um, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to try to write this, this fiction. So guess it would have been in 2017, I wrote my very first manuscript and I got like 50,000 words out and no, it will never see the light of day because my characters are really flat. I, I didn't know what I was doing, but when I was done, I felt super accomplished because I wrote 50,000 words. I had a right. beginning, a middle and an end. It, right. it, the storyline made sense. You know, it's kind of like a, to me, an, an artist would never show you the very first painting that they ever tried to do. So that, could have, that should have been encouraging for you then, right? Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. And so I, I mean, thought, 50, well, 50,000 words is a lot, lot of words. words. It's yeah. a lot of words. And, and when I you thought, write it down, you think, whoa, I had 50,000 words in me. That's exactly what I thought. I in fact, those that. words, exactly. I had 50,000 words in me. And so um, I let my children read it. They're the only ones who've ever read that. And, you know, I have four kids and three of them are the kids who just tell you, oh, mom, you did a great job. Applaud, applaud. And then I have my critic. And um, <laughs> she she said to me, well, it has some good bones. And it made me laugh because I knew then what it meant was, is there were a lot of things that it needed in order yeah. to make it a good story. So I did ask her a lot of questions later. I needed to revel in how wonderful I had done first. But a little later, it was like, so exactly what did you see? And so she started explaining to me about my characters and how flat they were. And uh, I did a lot of um, telling instead of showing. She was angry. Well, don't say that. Let me let me feel it. How are you going to? And so I wrote another uh, manuscript. And it, too, won't see the light of day. But it was significantly better than the first one. And then I wrote a third one. And then I wrote part of a fourth one. And then I wrote the Sunflowers Beneath the Snow, which is the first one that I've let out into the world. Actually, so, let's put up that um, cover while we're talking. All right. Yeah. So that's, that's a, and it, this is a historical fiction. Um, and the idea came to me in 2016 before I was even writing. But I just knew that this was a story that needed to be told, but I didn't believe I was the person to do it. Um, so in all of that time while I was was doing my learning as I'm just writing manuscript after manuscript, I was also, oh, I went to a couple of events and I went to, I got online and took a couple of little online classes. I joined a local group and started talking with people mostly listening. I wasn't really ready to share yet. I didn't want anyone to really see what I was doing because I didn't feel it was any good, but I wanted to hear like, what are other people doing and listening? And, and then I started, I've always loved to read, but I've always read for the joy of reading. And I started reading more for what is the author doing here that I like? Why do I enjoy this book over that book? 
Yeah. What, what parts here are slow and why do I find them to be slow and what would I do differently? That kind of thing. So I was, it, and now I still love to read, but it's really hard to read for pleasure because I'm constantly evaluating, you know, what did that author do? Why is this author a best-selling author? Mm -hmm. What is it about this work that makes people gravitate toward it? You know, so. Well, let me ask you a question that I know right. that our audience always asks <laughs> and will want to know the answer sincerely is, have you heard the ex expression being a pantser? Oh, yes. Okay. So the question is, are you a pantser or are you a planter? Which is, of course, a person who follows an outline. So. So I would love to say that I am that person that has an outline and <laughs> writes from six to eight every day. And I am not. Yeah. So I am a panster and I'm not only a panster, I am a binge panster. And by <laughs> that, I mean that I don't write every day. And when I do write, I tend to write for three, four, five, six, seven days in a row. And I'm all consumed and the laundry doesn't get done and no one gets fed. And, you know, I hardly remember to take a shower or go to bed at night. <laughs> and then, and then I've got something that I'll work with later. And then I might not pick up do anything for a week or two or even three. And then all of a sudden I'm doing that again. So yeah, I call myself a binge panster. Oh, uh, it it's, I really am sorry. We don't have a live audience because there would be so many questions and comments coming in right now. That's really, you're the first person, the first, and we've done a lot of shows yeah. that has said that you're a binge panster. I mean, a lot of our authors are very methodical not following an outline. Most are pansters, yeah, but, but, um, but follow a regiment. Yeah. So regiment kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Like you know, every morning between yeah. eight and 12, yeah. you know, I've like tried that. it. I've tried it. I really, cause I thought that was the right way to write. And yeah. I've come to the conclusion that the right way to write is what works for you. Absolutely. And I think, I honestly think like I, I've tried to analyze, like, why am I this way? And I think because I spent 14 years in an emotionally abusive relationship where someone was always telling me what to do, oh, that yeah. I have become very, I don't like being told what to do. Like, <laughs> I get to decide myself. And somehow having to write from 8 to 12, whether I feel like it or not, whether I have something to say or not, sitting there at the computer, just sitting, waiting to write because nothing's in my head makes me feel like I have some taskmaster demanding that I do something. And I don't like that feeling. So I just write when it hits me. And luckily, it hits me often enough that it isn't a problem. It would be a problem if I only felt like writing once every 18 months. But that isn't the way it works. So your characters probably wake you up and tap they you do. Older and say, "Hey, psh, psh, come on! We got I've got a story. I've got a story. In fact, I keep a little notebook by my bed, and I keep a, a note on my phone because I walk on the beach a lot, and I'll be out walking on the beach, and an idea will come to me, and I'll just talk into my phone and just get a quick little. And it's like, okay, now you can be quiet. I've got the idea. We'll just move on. Um, yeah, I tell people that I have voices in my head, but it does not need mean I need medication. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> that's, but that's true. That's absolutely true. Or maybe when you're walking, you've been struggling with how to express something the right way to get across what you're trying to express in your writing, which is harder than you think until you've sat down and tried right. to write something. Well, <laughs> you know, you know, you know what you're thinking in your head. You feel yeah. it. 
yep. but then trying to come up with the right words that you know, you read what you wrote and you think that's close, but it's really not it. And then, or that's really boring. Or is there an English word for this? I don't even know that there's an English word for this. So you have to come up with like eight words that you figure out how to rearrange so that it makes sense to someone. I've, I've often wished that I knew German because I understand they're very expressive and they have a word for everything. And so I thought that would be a good way to, <laughs> a good well, way to write. Might, they might have a word for everything but there are still some things that even if there is a word for it you really need to go with facial expressions and actions exactly. to express because as we all know uh we use a lot of body language to express how we're talking so for example our family is very sarcastic and probably in our little really? show, you probably figured that out already and <laughs> <laughs> so i like writing sarcastic comments because you know that's it's who you are right it is who i am and i like reading that i enjoy that right. i like that between characters that mm -hmm. give and take and the joking and the sarcasm and but for me when i'm trying to write certain uh dialogue it's very difficult for me and i'm thinking okay are they really going to get that or not for example this one um, comment that we had, one review said that our book was full of cliches, you know, and we wrote it that way on purpose. <laughs> and it was like, maybe if you looked at the cover and seen that there was a smoking gun on the cover, that might have been a giveaway <laughs> that that's what we were going for. <laughs> I, I don't. I like the reviews. I like looking at them and seeing what people have to say, but I've also learned that you just can't let them bother you because, you know, oh, I had, I had some person, you know, I'm not Ukrainian and my book is about Ukraine. And I had some people, somebody say in a review that they were disappointed that I was not Ukrainian. <laughs> well, there's Sorry. That. <laughs> so, you, know, you know what? I use that review in a lot of our publicity because mm -hmm. I thought it was funny. Right. Because that was another thing. He yeah. said that we were funny when we didn't mean to be. And I'm like, oh, really? But we did mean to be. <laughs> we did it's mean to be. to be funny. Right. right. I, well, I, got, I got a Kirkus review and it said, and I was so excited to get a Kirkus review and, <laughs> and the it was really good. But it, it said at the very end, it said uh, that the ending as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. 
Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit. The only problem was that the ending was improbable. Well, what they didn't recognize is, is that the ending is the only true part of the story. I heard this true story. It's the last three pages of the last chapter. Everything else is my imagination. Those last three pages that are improbable <laughs> is the true is the I true story. I use it all the time. I use it all the time. This is funny because guess what? That's the true story. That's the true stuff. Yep. Yeah. So. Surprise, Kirkus. I know. <laughs> you know, I, I do want to bring up your cover once again because I really like it. And maybe we can explain it a little because, you know, when people listen on the podcast, they're not going to see it. The cover's uh, like a turquoise color. And it has three women's faces in profile. And then it says sunflowers beneath the snow. You kind of want to go into what your title means and why you chose that cover. Okay. Yeah. So choosing the title, by the way, was probably harder than writing the book. I have never struggled so hard in my life. We went back and forth. I bet we tried 150 different title names. My publisher would give me some and I hated them. I would suggest others. They hated them. We just, oh, it was, it was horrible. But finally we started like clicking in on, you know, that the harsh conditions in Ukraine was something that we really wanted to bring out and their winters are very harsh. And so the idea of winter kind of came in and then these three women, you see them despite these harsh circumstances, they grow and they bloom and they become. And so I started thinking flowers. So then we were looking at like different flowers that bloom first in the winter, but none of those made any sense for the story. And then it was like, wait a minute, sunflowers are the national flower of Ukraine. And then my, and so we tried sunflowers in the winter and it was like, but that doesn't work because there are no sunflowers in the winter. Like that just feels really odd. And then it was like, wait a minute, they're beneath the snow. They're waiting to bloom like they're there and they're just waiting for the right circumstance to come out. And then it was like, oh, my gosh, that's it. Sunflowers beneath the snow. And so it was a oh, my gosh, the the idea. So I've got another book that's coming out and that title came right to me. Thank goodness, because I thought, I don't think I can do this again. (laughs) And then the the. We had a hard time coming up with a cover too. the first couple of covers that they pitched my way. I just didn't do anything for me. Um, One of them was a vase of sunflowers. And it was like that just it just it looks like a gardening book. Um, And then a couple of them were very modern feel. And this book is right on the edge of being historical fiction and contemporary fiction because it starts in the 70s and it goes through to present day. And 70s is now considered historical fiction, which just hurts my heart. (laughs) Hurts, hurts my heart because that just makes me old. But um, so I'm right on the I'm right on the edge. But I thought that these contemporary ones that they were throwing my way did not really reflect what the book was. And I really have always loved silhouetted things. And so I suggested, could we maybe do silhouettes of people or maybe even maybe a tree for like a, like a family tree kind of idea, you know, and this is what they came up with. 
initially the color that they had chosen instead of that pretty blue was this yellow color. And it was, uh, so I'm going to say that it was breastfed diaper yellow. Yes. So if anyone, I mean, it just you know had, that, well. it had six you know, kids breastfed them all. So you know what color I mean? It had that yeah, kind of, yucky. kind of, yes, yucky, some like green and brown to it. It was just not pretty. Um, so I had them try different yellows and I didn't like them. Then I had them try a variety of blues and I even tried red just to see red was put away right away. The yellows I decided not. And then this blue was the one that we decided to go with. And so with the yellow print with the yellow print and it's about three generations of women and so three silhouettes, three silhouettes. And, uh, then if you notice because it's Ukraine, it's blue and yellow, which are their flag colors. Absolutely. And go. so all of that just kind of goes goes real well together. So, That's And perfect. plus the yellow, when I'm hearing you talk, it's really not about sunflowers. No, it's not. It's about somebody going through hardship under the snow. Their real selves are yet to bloom, you know. Right. So, I mean... So you see the transformation of these women over time. And that's why I didn't want sunflowers necessarily on the cover because that's not the point. No, all those, all those sunflowers are definitely mentioned in the book. You know, there's definitely references to the sunflower, but there isn't, it isn't about a sunflower. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> let's, let's take a couple of minutes here to uh, make our sponsors happy. Okay. And uh, <laughs> we'll be right back and we'll carry on this uh, discussion. And we'll also do a book giveaway. Yes. Stay tuned. They thought the siren was dead. In the novel Siren Song by author George Dismukes, James Harmon shot her twice. Several people saw her dead body sinking slowly into the abyss. But now, in Siren Song 2, evidence suggests that she may still be alive. She killed that boatload of people. It was her! And she's just getting started! Angie, that's impossible. The cold chill up my spine tells me it's not impossible. We've got to start all over again! This time, do it right. Siren Song 2. The story continues. Available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and many other bookseller websites. Get your copy today. At Indie Booksource, you can shop by genre or by author, and you will be buying direct from the author's main purchase link. We offer hundreds of titles and formats that include ebooks, paperback, hardbound, and audiobook. Support an indie author. Visit IndieBookSource.com today. And we're back. Yes, and I would like to mention again that this is pre-recorded, and so if you're making comments and we're not showing them on the screen or we're answering them. We're not ignoring them, you. No, no. it's pre-recorded, <laughs> but you can go ahead and make your comments. We'll make sure Terry gets them. You can make comments always on YouTube, and we're just happy to have you comment and share all the time. That's right. Yes. That's right. All right. Let's get back to what we were talking about, your book, which I think was really good because you have uh, expressed a little bit more what your book is about. Is there anything else you'd like to share about what the book is about? 
Well, I, yeah, so I told you that um, I came up with the idea in 2016, and it's yes. because the youngest generation is patterned off of a girl that I know who's my daughter's age, and she had gone to camp as a camp counselor at the same time my daughter was a camp counselor, so they became friends. She was here in 2013. She came back for the summer of 2014 from Ukraine, so she's just here for, you know, a summer visa. And in August of 2014, she was unable to go home because war had broken out between Russia and Ukraine in the Crimean Peninsula, right where her family lived. There were no flights in and out, and she had nowhere to go. And she ended up staying in the United States and is still here to this day. She's never been home. She's never seen her family since 2014. Wow. Um, she came to visit us in 2016. She was living in New York City at the time, and she came to visit us. And she was sitting in my office chatting, and she was telling me this story. And I was sure there was no way that what I was hearing was correct. We must be having a communication difficulty. You know, she, though she speaks fluent English, a very heavy Ukrainian accent, sometimes uses the words a little differently than I would use them, you know, and I thought, yeah, we're, this is a miscommunication. So I repeated back to her what I thought I heard her say. And she agreed that, yes, indeed, that is what has happened. And the hair stood up on my arms. And I thought, that's like a movie. That that needs to be that needs to be a book or a movie that that is just phenomenal. And that story just stuck in my head. But, you know, at the time, I wasn't writing. But in 2018, I sat down and said, I'm going to take that ending and I'm going to create the whole backstory for this ending. So everything else is fiction. Now it's historical fiction. So there's a lot of truth to what's going on in, in that period of time in Ukraine, but my characters are completely my own, you know? And so when her name's Ksenia is our friend and she wanted to read it. And I said, just know that like, your grandmother's not your grandmother and your mother's not your mother. And, you know, these are not, I, I, this is all me. And although you'll see a little of yourself in some of the very end chapters, it's not even really you. It's a conglomerate of you and other people that I know that have had to transition to living in the United States. And I said, so I don't want you to read it and feel like I got it all wrong because I wasn't trying to, to, you know, write right. your story. Right. Um, and then the, the last three pages of the last chapter, not the epilogue, that's all me again, but the last three pages of the last chapter are is the true story that she told me in my office. And um, so I tell everyone that I had to write 82,000 words of fiction so that I could tell this little ending. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yes, yeah, so, and the book just follows these women from the early 70s um, all the way through to, you know, after Russia invaded Ukraine. And it's crazy because the book came out like two and a half weeks before the current invasion. So it's the timing was just incredibly. In fact, I'm a little worried. I have other ideas for books and I almost am afraid to write them for fear that <laughs> that will, you know, <laughs> that, 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 it'll happen wow. again, you know, <laughs> we, we had that happen with one of our books yeah, yeah. with our, our third, third book, book. Yeah. our third book. Um, we were, we, this was, you know, a long time ago, we wrote this yeah, book, 2014, I think. 2014 13. yeah, or, or 13. Yeah. yeah. 
and it was called clone drones and it was someone who was <clears throat> uh, using uh, 3D printers to build drones that were weaponized with automatic rifles. And it was being used to not, to, not military ones, but right? Not military right. drones, a regular drone that you can buy. Right. I mean, you can't buy them, you know, at the mall, but you can buy a, right. a very expensive three thousand, four thousand dollar drone. So they were, you know, weaponizing them, they right? Were weaponizing them, but they were printing them so that it didn't cost them that much, and um, they were murdering senators, um, mm -hmm. American senators, and then. Um, <clears throat> After the book had been out like two years, an 18-year-old did that and used it. And we were like, uh-oh, kind of felt the, like Rod Serling on the, the Twilight Zone with hijacking. One of the TV shows. Then Hawaii Five-O Hawaii Five yeah. did oh an episode where it came down the street and was killing everybody with an automatic rifle. And we were like, oh, so I know exactly how you feel. It's like. Oh, yeah, it's like, oh, oh, I don't want to be the, the forebearer of. <laughs> you don't want to be Rod Serling who started no. hijacking. I mean, right. no one had ever done that. He had that done. And next thing you know, someone was like, oh, that was a good idea. I'm going to. I that. think I'll try that. Yeah. So so the timing is really crazy. But the the three women, you just see them go through communist Ukraine early independence of Ukraine where people felt that, you know, they were going to immediately become like the West and it just didn't go that way because the infrastructure wasn't there. The training wasn't there. The leadership wasn't there. All the things that you need to, to build up wasn't there. And so it took, you know, quite some, they still had food shortages and, and fuel shortages and all the things that they had had before. Um, and so we see them going through that. And then the youngest ends up coming to the United States and we see that transition as well. And so you get to watch all three of these women and their growth process, you know, becoming their sunflowers and becoming the best they can be given the situations that they find themselves in. So. But how wonderful that it's happening now. I don't know about you, but when I read, I really learn a lot about whatever the person's writing about. Mm -hmm. You know, I think of Tony Hillerman and Ann Hillerman and I learned so much about the Navajo Nation and the Navajo peoples from their writing because they right. research and they're giving you the real deal, just like you did with your book. And it will help us to understand the Ukrainian people and perhaps become empathetic towards them by reading this story and understanding what the people have gone through just since that, the 70s, which to me right. is crazy that you know, that to me, that was a short time ago. I mean, <laughs> I graduated from high school more than 60 years ago. So 70s to me, it's like, yes. <laughs> that so, was yesterday. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that, that because the book came out when it came out, that's what I have really been telling people is, is that this book will help people gain compassion and empathy yes. for a group of people they may know nothing about Yes, because it's very easy. We live here in the United States where the worst thing that's happening is our gas prices have gone up and the war doesn't touch us. Every yeah. morning we wake up and we eat our bagel and drink our coffee or whatever it yeah. is that we do. Right. And, and we might hear about it on the news and we might say, Oh, those poor people. And then you kind of move on with your day. But even and, that the, the news right now, it's hardly it's even almost disappeared about it. off of the news. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, it's like it's there's gone. nothing going on. Move We're along. On move it. along. Move along. And so I think that 
and at least for me, if I get to know someone of a different culture or yes. in a different situation than yes. I'm in, the compassion and empathy that you have if something happens to that person or yes. that group is significantly yes. different than if you don't. I tell right. a story about when I went to uh, Washington, D.C., and I went to the um, Holocaust Museum. Uh -huh. And I've thought that I had a very good understanding and a, and a, a very good empathy. And, a, and then I went into that museum and there was one hallway that you walked into and it was filled with a photographer's photos that he had taken in a city that was completely wiped out because it was completely Jewish and it was completely wiped out. And these pictures were things like birthday parties and graduations and people standing in front of their new cars and real people doing real right. things that I would do, that I did do, that I do with my family. And I stood there in that hallway and I, I cried. And I didn't even want to go through the rest of the museum after that because I had been completely overwhelmed with the compassion and empathy. They were no longer this Jewish people. They were people just like me. That could happen to me. And my book is not, I'm not saying my book is as good as a Holocaust museum. I'm just saying, though, that when you get to know someone and you get to know these three women, spouses, some of their friends, you you walk away with like a friendship and you understand them. And now when you hear about the war, you can put it into context with someone that you've kind of come to know. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And, and I think and, that that's true of any group of people. If you get to know them, you exactly. understand we're more alike than we're different. Even though exactly. we may be very different in our circumstances, may be very different. We're more alike than you think, especially when you can, you're talking about being from the United States and being from Ukraine. I mean, it's worlds apart. And I think mm -hmm. sometimes if you haven't lived outside of the country, I'm not sure you really understand how privileged we are, you know? Yeah. 
And uh, the same goes for if we're uh, white Americans, we probably don't understand how privileged we are compared to other ethnicities in, in our country. I, and I think no people. Exactly. I think that's the thing is that the, we can't be everything. We can't have everyone's experiences. No. So, for, so for me, books are a great yes. way to at least kind of, even if you're just touching on the edges, you yes. know, at least get a little understanding, a little feeling of, of seeing what this character felt. And when I read, I often like, I really take on my characters as I'm reading. And so, you know, I feel those feelings and, and I kind of become that character, even for a moment. And at least it would give you a glimpse into something that you would otherwise never have the opportunity to see. You touched on that, on this one I'm going to mention when talking about the Holocaust Museum, which we used to live in a suburb of D.C. Um, but like the Diary of Anne Frank. I mean, I read it when I was about her age that she was writing it. So that really touched me deeply, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, what your your book here is, we're talking about the same thing. And like I said, I read all, all of Tony Hillerman's books and that really touched me about the Navajo people, though I already hmm. had a love of the Navajo right. people and understood. I, it's I had, just enhances. Right. Yeah. I right. wanted to work there as a medical missionary, but I wasn't <laughs> able to for a lot of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, it's it, it's very important. The written word is is really important, especially in fiction, because you're invited into the lives of someone who actually lived like that and mm. through that. You know. Speaking of important words, I know. I think we need to take our second break here. <laughs> when we come back, we're gonna have a book giveaway. <laughs> we're gonna tell everybody how to reach you and yes. uh, talk about what you got coming up. Okay. okay. So everybody, sit tight. We'll, we'll be, right, be right, back. right back. Don't go away. Many secrets are hidden within the darkness of the jungle. Behold, this one about a man, a woman, a black jaguar, and an ancient Maya legend. Two Faces of the Jaguar is a novel by George Dismukes that will take you deep into the jungle and capture your imagination until the last word. Two Faces of the Jaguar is book one of a trilogy. Two Faces of the Jaguar, where only the adventurous dare to read. Two Faces of the Jaguar, The Lost City, and The Jaguar's Quest are available on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and many other bookseller websites. Two Faces of the Jaguar, the book people are talking about. Get your copy today. Live every Wednesday, your voice of indie hosts, Beam Weeks and Stephen G's, welcome authors, musicians, publishing industry pros, artists, and assorted creative guests for an exciting interactive hour. Call in during the show or post questions and comments on Twitter for responses in real time. Meet your favorite indie creators, learn inside tips, network, and promote your work. The link for each week's show is pinned on Twitter atop at Voice of Indie. 
And you can receive the link every Wednesday morning in your inbox by subscribing to our newsletter at freshinkgroup.com. Check out Voice of Indie every Wednesday on Blog Talk Radio and catch hundreds of episodes archived everywhere from our websites to our YouTube channel and Spotify. And we're back. <laughs> Hi. Oh, there you are. <laughs> Let's pick up your information right away. Alrighty. Okay. If you want to reach Terry, her website is terrymbrown.com. And that's Terry with one R, not two. Remember that. Think about it. One R. T-E-R-I-M-B-R-O-W-N. Okay. And that Terry's going to be spelled with one R through all of these. Just a reminder. And this is pre-recorded. <laughs> Another reminder. <laughs> all right. Facebook, it's Terry M. Brown, author. Instagram is Terry M. Brown underscore author. LinkedIn is Terry M. Brown. And her email, which is really important because we're going to do the book giveaway now is terry at terry m brown so that's t-e-r-i at t-e-r-i-m-b-r-o-w-n just one r in each terry right the okay. book giveaway today uh, some of you may have already jumped the gun and gotten it uh, <laughs> but uh, the first three people to email terry at terrymbrown.com will win an ebook copy of sunflowers beneath the snow keep in mind this is pre-recorded but if you're watching this live on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night, uh, then that's when she's going to be receiving. Then she'll be looking for your email. Yes. Which Wednesday? August what? Uh, August 9th. What day is today? <laughs> Very good. She knows. It's our show. <laughs> No, it's August 10th, actually. Oh, shoot. Whoa. August 10th? Wednesday. August 10th. August 10th. Write that down. <laughs> <laughs> See, so you can let your after. followers know it's August 10th. I will. But, I'll let everybody well, know. You already know that we've already made a few full pause because this is a pre-recorded show. There it's very go. strange to do this and say when it's going to be. But, but we have fun anyway. Yeah. I'm going to leave the email up there on the on the screen so that it'll be easy for people that are watching the video to, to, to write this down. And remember, you can always watch this as a vodcast on our YouTube channel, mm -hmm. which is uh, the Indie Book Source Meet the Author podcast on that channel, right. since we have more than one channel. Is it on our other channel also? Um, no. Okay. But, so uh, just on our Indie Book If you go to IndieBookSource.com, and go to Meet the Author podcast, you'll see every link possible to watch or listen. Yes. Even all the, uh, um, there's links uh, to each individual um, podcast. On and this there, so. this will be on there as a podcast right. or a podcast, whichever right. way you want to do it. But anyway, whenever you're listening or watching to this, go ahead and shoot Terry an email and see if yeah. you got in on the book giveaway. Maybe. Don't worry about how long it is since it's been on. Yeah. She'll want to hear from you anyway. Yeah, yeah, actually, shoot me an email. You know, you never know. We might have something really fun to talk about. So yeah. I, I love to hear from people. Yeah. That's yeah. a really good so thing. So no matter what, yeah. you have to you have to email her. You have to. 
Terry at terrymbrown.com. You could have a conversation with her like we just had with her. Yeah. Very interesting and enlightening. All right. Let's go on to what is it you're up to next? So I have um, a book coming out sometime in November. I don't have an exact date yet, but it's called An Enemy Like Me. It is set in World War II, um, but it's not your typical World War II story in terms of, you know, there's not a lot. There's actually very little of the war itself. We follow a soldier. Um, he is a German-American, first-generation German-American. He mm. thinks that when he signs up for the war that he's fighting the Japanese. Things change at the last minute, and he is instead sent to the German front. Mm. And he becomes very aware of how much like the enemy he is. Um, and he has a, a real struggle with this idea that, you know, in his mind, he had made the enemy a monster. And when it was the Japanese, it was easy for him to do because they were different than he was. And so he could turn them into these monsters. And now he was having to actually fight against someone that could be cousins, you yeah. know, and, and that idea. And so we, we look at that and how war changed him, but we also look at it from his, his uh, wife's perspective and then his four-year-old son that was left behind. And we see the four-year-old son, both as a child and then as a grown man, as he's reflecting back upon his life. So. Very good. Yeah. In being first generation, it could literally be his cousins. Yes. Yes. Um, and it's interesting. This story has a little bit of true basis in that my grandfather fought in World War II uh, and he fought in Germany and we're German American, but many, many, many generations in. And I was 15 or 16 when he one time he, he didn't talk about the war very often. No, they um, didn't. and if he did talk, it was after the war was over and he was there for several months waiting to come home. And so he, he'll tell some of those stories, but you very rarely heard anything. But one day he said to me, I always wondered if I was shooting a cousin. Yeah. And that stuck with me. And so when I started writing this story, that's, that was kind of the focus of the whole idea was to explore that idea of how we have to turn people into monsters in order to fight them. And that if you really know them, you can't, Yeah, you know, how hard is it? Because you can't, you know, like you and I've now met, right? So we feel like we're a little bit comfortable with one another. And I would mm -hmm. be very hard pressed to turn you into a monster, even if I found out that there was something that you believed that wasn't what I believed. Like, right. I would say, yes, but look at all of these good things, right? So right. that's kind of what this is exploring, is that idea that, that we really are way more alike than we are different. Even so, if you're a Nazi. Yes. It, I mean, that person is. A, a, yes. A Nazi, and then the thing is, is so many of those people, you hmm. know, governments start war. Ordinary, everyday people it's fight it. Like Russian, the right. Russians fighting the Ukraines. The, it those, is Russian those, government. Right. Those Russian sh soldiers, they've got moms at home. They've got wives at home. They, they just want to go, to about they just wanna go home. You know, they want to go home. And yeah. so it's ordinary people who fight these wars. And, and that's like I said, that's really what I'm exploring is this idea of, you know, like what is war and how does it change you? And 
how do you manage to go and aim a gun at someone else? And the only way that you can do that is to, you know, make them into something that you can shoot. Yeah. So you may have already touched on this, but in your bio, you mentioned that you're an Air Force brat. You grew yeah. up as an Air Force brat. Yeah. How much do you think your upbringing uh, through those environments, um, do you think, do you think that that has influenced your writing? I'm sure it has. I, I feel certain. I, I can't imagine there's anything that I've done that hasn't influenced my writing somehow. I mean, you become a conglomerate of all of the, the things that you've done. But my grandfather and my father were both extremely patriotic. Like, extremely patriotic. There is that a flag never went by that my dad didn't, you know, stand at attention or, you know, put his hand over his heart. His hat always came off. When he went to events, he always had a flag. Like he was a, he uh, restored old cars and uh, he would go to these car shows and on his little lot with his car was always an American flag. Uh, he often wore um, an American flag lapel pin, you know, just because that's who he was. Um, my father passed away three years ago, but in his yard is a flag that is on one of these telescoping poles to make it easy to go mm -hmm. up and down. And it has the permanent light on it. Yep. And, you know, this is who my family was. And yeah. so, yeah, I think that especially in this one, you'll see the, the new book that's coming out, you'll see a lot of uh, patriotic theme in it. And that definitely comes from having grown up in that. I know what that means. And um, it's interesting. I've talked with some people of younger generations who don't seem to have the same feeling that I have. And I wonder at what point did we quit passing that down? I know my grandfather passed it to my father and my father definitely passed it to me. I don't see it quite as much in my own children, which makes me feel like I did a bad job and I don't know how that happened. And then, but it's like it, it's changing. Well, I think um, we are a generation older than you. Uh, it were, our parents are the ones that were involved in World War II. Mm -hmm. And um, then we, we're we the ones that definitely passed it on to those people that are in their late 50s and so on right. and so forth. And <clears throat> so our children are very patriotic, um, the older ones. And um, because there's a 17 year span, so yeah. some of the younger ones are not not as probably as patriotic. But like when uh, the soldiers came home from Vietnam and stuff, we saw everything that happened there, and it was very distressful because I had five five male cousins over there, two female cousins that were nurses. Uh, my brother was there, and. Um, <clears throat> I saw how they were treated when they came home. And so finally, when we had parades in our town, our our kids all dressed up in t-shirts that had the flag on it and pants that had the flag on it. And they went and stopped all the soldiers to have them autograph it and thank them for their service. And they cried. Yeah. These men cried because yeah. they'd been so used to people spitting, not doing that. <clears throat> yes. Mm -hmm. And other things. And <clears throat> so and then when our children had children, I just think it had been diluted and watered down. We saw a little flare up after 911 where people were very patriotic yep. again, and then it died on, yeah. died down. Yeah. So I hope they don't ever have to 
find out why you're patriotic. I don't want them to go through any of those. No, no. But I do think that you're right. It has a lot to do with the experiences. And although I didn't experience it, my dad was the one who was left behind when my grandpa went to war and he remembers that. And so he passed that to me. And then by the, by the time I'm passing it, see, I didn't, I didn't experience it. You know, my grandfather experienced it. My father experienced it secondhand. I experienced it third hand. Now we're down to fourth hand and it does. I think it does. It dilutes some, but it does dilute and it it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean you weren't a good parent or anything. In addition to that, the whole family structure has changed. Right. The way it was back in the fifties and sixties. My grandparents were never divorced in my, in my grandfather actually one of my grandfathers, the other one died, but my grandfather fought in World War One. Um, you know, so it's just been a whole lot of, and I'm Irish, um, this ancestry. German actually is the number one. Uh, As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Ancestors in the United States, German bloc is... Right. And the second one is, is Irish, which I think being Irish, we always assumed we were number one. But we <laughs> I think everyone thinks they're number one. <laughs> So we're number two. We're like Hertz. We try harder. But you, your family had to experience fighting in World War II against the Germans, which is something my family didn't experience, you know. But I just think that all of this has, has been totally watered down and people just don't get it. If I mean, my brother and my cousins fought in Vietnam. I did not want to see them spit upon. Right. And, and I came from a family that had every generation had people fight in all of these wars, you know, mm, to keep right. everybody here safe. My father and his brother, my father fought against the Japanese, his brother against the Germans. He was a paratrooper. He was killed. Um in Europe and in on the, in Italy, actually. And he received a silver medal posthumously, which is amazing. He died for gallantry in action, protect, protecting his men. He was a captain. And <clears throat> so, you know, all of that has been handed down in, right. in my family. I've had cousins then that were younger that fought in shock and awe. And I, we have a nephew who also was an, a Navy pilot. And it's just we're a very military family. And I think that tends to be more um, 
patriotic because yeah. you know what they're doing. One of my uncles, okay, so my father and his one brother fought in World War II. Then their younger brother fought in the Korean War. So, I mean, yeah. it's been like I've had family in every single war. <laughs> Yeah, that I can think of. And being Irish, they were probably in a lot more wars than that. <laughs> All the way back. All the way back, right? Yeah, because that's what you did. You're, you were Irish. You, you fought in wars. <laughs> you were in the military. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. There's a lot of unrest in our com country right now, and yeah, that kind of waters down. I think patriotism. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is too bad. And like I said, I really don't want anything to flare up. No, me, me neither. This, which is one of the reasons why I wrote a book that kind of touches on those things. Because once again, how do you learn about something that you're not experiencing? You learn about it by reading. Yeah, You don't have any, you know, um, I tell people all the time, I, I can never be um, a male president in the 1800s, but I could read books about it. Yeah, you know, I can learn from those experiences and I can learn about other people and other times and other experiences that I will never have on my own, but at least I can kind of start to touch on them. And that's what literature does for people. Yeah. And the German people weren't put into camps like the Japanese were. So they actually were. There were some that were. That yes. I didn't know that. Is there that were. Yeah, it's in the it's in my new book. That's um, good. That's there were good. there were not a lot. It wasn't this it wasn't the same extent because no. German people were a little harder to tell apart. If you yeah. were if you were Asian, you could look at them and know that they were Asian. Right. Whereas a German American didn't necessarily look different. But if they found anyone that they thought was involved in, there's a name and I can't even pronounce it. But it, essentially, it's the American Nazi Party. And it had this real long German name. If they thought you were in any way involved in that, you were put in an internment camp. Hmm. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And of course, the Japanese look different. So Right. And like I said, Japanese hmm. were rounded up just by being different. They just they didn't even have to do anything. Different. The right. Germans that were rounded up, many of them were rounded up falsely. Because people would say they were involved. Right. And, because they and, didn't like them or whatever. Yeah. And there were a lot of people who were afraid. You know, that people were just afraid. I mean, um, my grandfather was born in a tiny town called New Berlin that changed its name to North Canton, Ohio, because they were afraid. Oh. New Berlin. Nobody wanted to live in New Berlin. Because that might mean that you were a Nazi sympathizer. They changed the name of the town wow. to North Canton to, wow. to, to not be German. And my grandfather, we were, our last name was Buffenmeyer, B-U-F-F-E-N-M-E-I-E-R. And he changed it to Buffmeyer, got rid of a lot of that, made the Meyer an American spelling. M-E-Y-E-R. We, it's still obviously German. But it wasn't old it was country. More, more palatable. Yes, yeah. it wasn't it was old country German. Yes. It was anglicized German. And, and so that's what a lot of people were doing to try to be less German. They, would, they weren't speaking German in their home anymore, even if they were fluent. Um, they, there were a lot of things that people were doing to try not to stand out. Because 
being German wasn't something you wanted to be because everyone associated being German with being a, a, Nazi. a Nazi and or a Nazi sympathizer. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, now for being Irish, we have a very similar thing. I mean, uh, my grandmother always used to say to us, what do the Irish have to do with you? Because we were American. We weren't Irish. Mm -hmm. And because when they came here and were growing up, it was Irish need not apply in on restaurants and bars. There would be no dogs, no Irish. I mean, the Irish were under dogs, you know, right. <laughs> no dogs right. first, then no, no, no Irish. And um, it was very difficult for them to find work. And um, so, yeah, we've never been very welcoming country to different but we are a melting pot, aren't we? Oh, yes. But, you know, it's it's interesting because that was, you know, 90 years ago or so when they started making these changes. Because after World War One is when people started getting the, the anti-German sentiment going on. And you look now and nobody thinks twice if you're German. No. Right. Like it doesn't matter. And and I don't know when that changed with Irish, but people now here in the United States, I don't believe now, maybe there, maybe there are pockets of it places, but here in North Carolina, if you said you were Irish, nobody is going to blink twice. No, no. It, doesn't, it doesn't mean anything anymore. I mean, no. oh, that's nice. You have Irish heritage. I mean, nobody has that same. And it's, it's amazing to me how it changes over time. Eventually, mm -hmm. whoever it is that, that was moving in that, you know, all the bad stuff was hung on that group. And then that group becomes more Americanized and it's the next group that moves in that, you know. Exactly. And you know what else too is um, I think that if you're an American German or an American Irish, you know, that um, that's no problem, but we're a country that loves accents. So if you meet somebody with a German accent or an Irish accent or a British accent, you like that or a French accent, you know, it's exotic and, yes. you know, yeah. you want to talk to that person and find out about things from that person, you know, so that's changed too, I think, because we're mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. far enough away from the Second World War to not have any of that hurt so much as it used well, to. And fear, I think there was just so much fear, Fear, yeah. you know, um, and when people are afraid, they do crazy things. Yeah. I mean, yeah. fear will have you do crazy things because you're trying to, you know, be safe. And so you turn in people that you think don't look like you or aren't acting like you or you saw that German American boy and he was sneaking around the back of the building. And what you don't know is he was just going to have a cigarette and didn't want his mother to see. But you're making the assumption that he's back there for some other reason. You making know, it's those kinds a, of like you said, making him into a monster. Right. As right. And then to getting to know who and, he and, is. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, it, but, you know, this is something that's been going on from the start of, of humankind. Oh, you know, yes. We've yes. always separated ourselves into groups yes. of, of right. us and thems. Yep. Click, and click. Yeah. Yeah. Like and it's, it's, yeah. and it's a thing we, it's what we do. And, and I think part of it really in the very beginning, I would have been a safety thing, you know, your family, your clan, you know, mm -hmm. and, and we still do it today. And it's one another reason why I think books are so great is we tend to surround ourselves with people who are more like us than yeah. different from us because yeah. it's comfortable and it's easy and and you're going to eat mm. the same foods and have the same kinds of thoughts about the same kinds of things. But books will take you kind of outside of that zone. And yeah. if you live in small town North Carolina, there everyone here is 
pretty homogenous. There's not a lot of, of differences going on here. And you don't get the chance to meet exotic people with accents. It's just very rare. And so reading is one of the ways to help you kind of grow beyond the little cocoon that we make around ourselves. Right. So we need to watch for an enemy like me. An enemy like me. November. Sounds yeah. really good. One Thank last uh, closing really closing question here. All right. What kind of advice would you give to uh, somebody who's just starting? Uh, they could even be older. Uh, haven't haven't quite got the uh, initiative up to uh, jump into the writing stream, but they've always wanted to write. I have three things that I tell people. The first one is just do it. Don't wait. Don't wait for a class. Don't wait for a course. Don't don't wait to, to have whatever it is. If you have the desire, start writing now because you're only going to get better by doing it. You're not going to get better by thinking about it. And then the second thing is, is once you've written enough that you feel comfortable with something that you have, let someone read it and listen to what they have to say because they can help you see things that you're not going to see for yourself because you're kind of blinded by your own work. And then. Yeah. And then the third thing almost sounds like I'm contradicting myself. And it is you don't have to listen to everyone. So if someone gives you some advice and you try it out and it doesn't work for you, it's OK to say, well, that's good advice for some people, but it's not good for me. And you can put that to the side. You and know, that's and true because we're all different. We all mm -hmm. like different things. Not every person likes the same genres. Nope. Not everyone even likes the way particular authors write in each genre. So there is an audience for everyone. Yep. I really right. believe that. So, <laughs> so you definitely need to be listening to people. You definitely need to be listening and yes. open and willing to try and experiment. And on the other hand, it's okay to be true to yourself and say, I tried it. It doesn't feel good for me. Yeah. I don't like that. And so I'm not going to use that. Well, right. people that are beta readers, they tell you things that you wouldn't think of that really make a lot of sense. Like mm -hmm. Siobhan is the name of one of our uh, characters in, in our books. And she's Siobhan is an Irish name. OK, it's the Irish spelling. It's an Irish name. And um, <clears throat> one of our beta readers said, what is that name? Is it Swedish or something? And how do you pronounce it? And I'm like, hmm. I thought everyone knew. <laughs> See how insulated I am? I grew up in Boston. And so it's like. And that was a normal name. right? Yeah, it's a normal right. name. And our son is Sean. Everybody knows that name. No, he was called seen more times than he'd like to remember. But so we had to put it in there that it was Irish. It was Irish for Joan, actually. My name spelling yeah. with the right. phonetic spelling. So people and that's a good tip. You need. Right. You're not going to pick up things like that right. at all. Well, every time they read through the story, they're going to be taken out of the story for just a second for that. if they don't know how to pronounce it. For exactly. that alone. Yeah. And there are a lot of things that people will, that beta readers will say, mm -hmm. what, what does that mean? What are you trying to say there? And you need to maybe hone it in. Right. Well, it and a lot of times as an author, like mm -hmm. I know, I know my character. Yes. And I make some assumptions yes. that you also know my character. Right. And, you know, like my editor, when we were going through uh, Sunflowers Beneath the Snow, she was, she told me, she said, Terry, you don't have enough about the character like Sandro. And I said, yeah, I do. I mean, it's, I've given everything you need to know. And she was like, no, I need to know more. 
and she started talking with me and I created several more chapters with him in it. I didn't expect to have him except in the beginning and the end. I had no intention of putting him everywhere, you know, and instead she needed more. I would have never known that because I didn't need more. He lived in my head for years. I didn't <laughs> need more. I knew him, you know, yeah. but yeah. I, I didn't allow my readers to know him because I made too many assumptions. And if you they know, don't know him, they're not going to care about him. Exactly. Right. And so, and you know, you don't it's, want it's, that. <laughs> no, it's, it's really interesting. And then in this book, An Enemy Like Me, she believed that one of the characters that he was peripheral and didn't need to be there. And I found him to be very central. And what I realized was, once again, I didn't give her enough information. And once I made him central, once I gave more information, she then agreed with me. Oh, no, he does need to stay. So it was just a matter of her perspective seeing it versus me, who, like I said, lives with the characters in my head. So, yeah, I think I think getting advice from other people can help you see where your holes are or or where things are flat or going slowly, or why did you even put that chapter in? What did it have to do with anything? You know, right. either you need to remove it or you need to do a better job explaining why it's there. Or, you know, you know choose not to die on that hill. Right, <laughs> right, right. Well, Terry, um, we want to just reiterate here. Uh, <clears throat> anybody that wants to connect with you should visit uh, Terry M. Brown. That's Terry with one R dot com uh and uh connect all your connections are there so join uh join there uh thank you so much for joining us uh thank you for having me about your book we're going to move you over to the side now over there we go and uh do you have anything you would like to talk about no, I think after I've, all this, I've talked a lot. <laughs> I talk more than I normally talk. I miss the audience. You guys yes. usually comment and have all the questions, and usually laugh at my jokes. But oh well. <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> That's true. Uh, episode rewind again. Reminders this Saturday, five thirty p.m. Right where you're at, Kim Nugent. Episode thirty-seven, and then next uh, next Wednesday, August seventeenth, seven o'clock p.m. Eastern time here in the U.S. Uh, we have journalist, speaker, and best-selling author Ron Alexander going to be joining us. It's going to be one to, that you'll really want to want to join us for, and we'll hope to see you there. And it'll be a live show. And it will be live. Yes, we will be alive, in theory. Um, okay. So, until next time. That's all, folks. Bye. Thank you for joining us here on Meet the Author. Make sure you stay up to date with our show by clicking like follow and share and you can find us on spotify itunes and more see you next time on wlfe-dv.com you've been listening to wlfe-dv.com where our shows are your shows
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.